This podcast was proudly brought to you by the Institute of Directors with support from the Advanced Directors course. Kia ora, I'm Stephen Moe, and we're back again for another season of Board Matters. This time, we're taking a closer look at the diverse perspectives of directors from around the country, getting an insight into their sectors to find out why governance and the decision-making process is important and what it looks like when it's done well. In this episode, we'll hear from Murray Dickinson. Uh, The main sector I'm involved in is construction one of the larger construction companies in New Zealand and we are in vertical construction so we we build buildings. What I really love about the sector is it's a very tangible sector. We spend a lot of time building things for other people. The people who build them are very proud of them, generally have a very positive impact on the communities that they are in because the, those communities are then you use those facilities that you build. So whether it's a, a municipal building, whether it's uh, restoring a piece of built heritage or just something else for the community to use and enjoy. Uh, and I, I joined the construction sector about eight years ago, and through that time I've been growing through various roles to the role I've got today, which is the director of Native Love. I also know that you have another hat that you wear as well, and I want to ask this question by reference to history. What happened in the Great Hall at the University of Canterbury orientation in 1964? It's very interesting. Uh, my parents met in the Great Hall, and I'm currently the chair of the Arts Centre uh, here in Christchurch as well. So there's a personal connection back to that institution as well. The work that's going on at the Arts Centre at the moment, uh, we're completing our reinstatement, uh, and we have stonemasons who are restoring buildings that were built over 100 years ago. Those bits of art, whether it's the capping stone for a building or, or a cornerstone, which are they, a lot of them are hand-carved out of Omaru stone, they, they will be there for generations, uh, and their legacy is something they can be proud of for a very long time. Yeah, and I love that that history, you know, that, that your parents met there, and now you, here you are as a chair. What is your view of governance? So governance to me is about a, a high-performing team delivering a result for that organisation which it couldn't get from an individual. Otherwise, you'd just have the CE. The, the, the reason why you have a board of governors is you're getting more than you would from a single role. There's a lot more time spent worrying about risks uh, and the margins of the construction industry are widely known to be quite narrow. So if you make a mistake in contract or a project, that can have significant implications for your organisation. So there's a lot that goes on around risk management, but it's also a repetitive and highly a regulated industry. It's a very risky industry, both from a from a range of different perspectives. So risk management is something that is very relevant to our industry. It's not so much that it's a fast moving industry with rapid change, but the risks that you manage can be very significant to the performance of your organisation, whether it be a health and safety risk or whether it be a financial risk. So in terms of the challenges that that brings to the governance table, what kind of things does that introduce? What dynamics are there? We have a really interesting discussion around where is risk dealt with. It's not who owns risk because the board owns risk, but the question is who deals with it. Like We have an audit committee, but we don't have an audit and risk committee because risk is so important to our organisation that mm. it's actually dealt with by the board, uh, which is unusual f- across most sectors where they'll view the risk as part of a, a financial audit committee-style um, delegation, whereas certainly in, in construction, risk is so important and execution is so important that you generally end up with the board owning risk in its own right, which is a nuance, but it's one of the few things that construction companies probably tend to do. The other thing that's very interesting about the industry is generally it has a lot of founder 
directors involved, owner directors, for a number of different reasons. One is that there are a lot of private companies in the construction sector. The majority are, are privately owned. And two, there is a real premium on lived experience in the industry and people who have that experience tend to work in the industry. It's not one you tend to cycle through as regularly as other um, industries. I'm interested in that word risk that you're using as well. Traditionally, we might have thought of risk as being, you know, wearing a hard hat or how do you use the ladder and things like that. So bringing it back to the people involved. But increasingly, there's an emphasis on understanding mental health and keeping people safe in those ways as well. Is that something that's increasingly on the radar as well? The board spend a lot of time worrying about wellness, whether it's physical wellness or mental wellness. Certainly, it is a, a touchstone in our industry. The construction industry is known to have high rates of, um, of suicide uh, to the point where there are specific entities uh, dealing with uh, suicide in the construction industry, mates in construction is, is the entity I refer to. And that is well known to our organisation. The board supports that organisation. And then it's about trying to then expand that beyond just uh, mental health uh, and other areas of wellness with health monitoring programs, issues there around stress from personal issues. And so the, the board is trying to support the organisation deliver better outcomes for all our employees. When have you seen governance done poorly? The times I've seen governance done poorly is generally where the board steps into management in a situation where it isn't required. There are always times when the board needs to become operational, but the worst cases of Governance I've seen is when the board then doesn't go back to its guiding strategy and holding management to account mm-hmm. when the time is appropriate. And so there are times when certain board members will want to be involved in something which management is, should be left to deliver. It's that conflict between how does the board manage that? And that comes down to the skill of the chair at that point. It's knowing when to stop being so involved, right? It's a real challenge because the board has to step in when there's a crisis. The trust but verify works well until there's a crisis and the board needs to be very operational and very specific about what it's trying to achieve. And it's generally when there's a threat to the continuation of that organisation, whether it be a very serious health and safety incident or whether it's a reputational issue that you're dealing with, whether it's through social media or whether it's a financial risk that then crystallises. The board have to step in, mm-hmm. but then the board has management to deliver the business plan of the day and guide strategy. But the board then had to step back at some point and say, okay, that incident has passed. The management now can then return to running the business. We will return to overseeing management running the business and making sure that the management is spending its time in the right areas and delivering the right work packages to support the strategy. You mentioned the role of the board chair and the important role that they have in knowing how far is too far and maybe reining in or allowing things to happen. Can you describe a bit more about that role? What have you seen, board chair? What's How are they operating? Something I continue to work on myself is around the board has to provide a range of views and a diversity of thought and has to surface that through a conversation. There's a balance there between getting a broad understanding and a wide-ranging viewpoints on an issue, but they're not dwelling so long on that issue that management are then unclear as to what the board is asking management to do. That's a skill that, that chairs have, something that everybody aspires to be very good at, is get all the views out there in a clear way, but then also being able to summarise and reflect back to management exactly what the next step is. Yeah, I think it's one of those positions where people assume it's not that different. You know, it's just... You're a director. Oh, you're the chair, but it's not that different. But actually, there is a lot that goes on because there's 
the liaising with the CEO or the management. There's the talking with the board members. There's the making sure everyone's heard. Like there's a lot of extra responsibility that I think sometimes we forget that being a chair is, it is a step up. The easiest way to describe that is as a director or a board member, you receive your information and you come to the meeting and you provide your insight and that information, then you leave. You might spend a little bit of time thinking about the organisation more broadly. The chair is expected to guide the board through its entire year's work plan and they have to understand the direction of the organisation. They don't have to be making all the decisions, but they have to be the captain piloting the ship. Good governance is, a, is, is kind of the outcome of the process, a really effective team. It's when you see a time of crisis, the board step in, support management through that. I was at the leadership conference of the IOD in May, and um, one of the panels was, was discussing the concept of slow panic. You're panic, you're urgent, we've got to do it, but you're also taking time and you know, you're thinking about things. And um, I think there's a lot of wisdom there. No, I, I love that term, panic slowly. And it's one of the things I definitely learned out of COVID was that actually you're entitled to be concerned, but don't overreact. Board Matters, brought to you by the Institute of Directors with support from the Advanced Directors course. You hold a number of different positions within your current role. Um, Can you maybe talk about some of the dynamics that that would introduce? Because I think you're shareholder, director, involved in management as well. So with no love, I'm director and I'm involved in management. We do have separation of our board and our shareholders. The shareholder hat's relatively easy for me to wear. The difficult hat to wear is the director hat uh, and my executive hat, because we also have a non-director CEO who my executive role reports to, but my director role is overseeing the CEO. And that's been something that's taken a little bit of time to work through as a complication. But the, the way that we've chosen to work through that is open lines of communication between chair of the board and myself as a director, because there are certain topics which I can't be involved with because I'm, I'm an executive. And then there's also open lines of communication in my executive role between myself and the chief executive to make sure that if I'm saying something to the director in the meeting, he's aware of what I'm going to say before I'm going to say it. Because generally speaking, we have, we have an excellent relationship and we've always had the agency to disagree with one another. As long as that's done in an open and transparent way, we're quite happy with each other holding differing views. So it's working well at the moment. The proof will always be when we have a dispute, which we haven't had to date, but we've had plenty of complications around how you deal with issues on the way through. So, Tell me more about disagreeing well. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. You need to clearly know which hat you're wearing at which point in time. There are certain things like with I disagree with about the CEO, he knows that. And that influences certain things and changes certain things. And you have to accept that with various hats that you wear. As a part of the management team, whatever the CEO says goes. That's the reality. And at the management team level, you support the CEO entirely. You have to behave, you support whatever is coming through. At director level, you are allowed a little bit more latitude to ask questions, but they have to be constructive because you're also viewed as part of management still. So the the directors will always expect you to have a degree of agreement with what's coming through unless you can phrase your questions in a way which isn't undermining the CEO. The main issue or risk that runs with this multiple hats is that the the CEO's position must remain tenable um, because I'm not the CEO. So Mm. until that changes, that's the rules of the game. I think it's something that we could concentrate on more in our boards is the permission to disagree Mm. and that actually 
voicing an opinion that is different to mine or that person's or that person's like that's actually the strength of a board mm. because you're bringing all these different perspectives and if we all agreed when we sat around the table then what are we even doing here so i i think that's important to encourage that the ability to disagree well and that's a product of time as everybody gets to know the other party better you have a better understanding how people will react to how you say things and they will also the more time you spend with them the less they will react strongly to your first comment mm. and so like with the ceo in, in my executive role we've known each other for eight years and we've always had robust conversations but they've never been angry conversations and he expects me to have a different view on certain things than him at board level, it does become more challenging given the time that board members spend together, which can be limited to a day a month, mm. where rather than I would see our CE 10, 15 days a month for eight years. That cumulative knowledge base builds up and trust between you two builds as well. And he knows I'll pick up the phone and talk to him if I've got a problem and vice versa. We talked at the start of the conversation about the Art Centre and the fact that you're the chair there. I'm just curious to understand some of the dynamics that might be a little bit different in a for-purpose organization or a charitable organization. The differences are normally quite apparent, like uh, the for-purpose is funding always remains a challenge. It doesn't matter which entity you're talking about, generally they're all short of funding uh, and that influences a whole lot of things in terms of the governance side, the art centre is an appointed board. So the existing trustees essentially choose the new trustees, which isn't significantly different from normal for-profit organisations. In terms of the skill set on the two boards, both of them are chosen by the existing board based on what they feel they need. Mm. That, in my mind, is a strength of the art centre board, but not all for-purpose entities have that opportunity. In terms of uh, engagement, I would say for-profit organisations, the people who work in for-purpose organisations generally do it for a different reason. Generally, they are there for a reason other than building a career and supporting their family. They, like in the Arts Centre, it will not surprise anybody that there are a lot of people there who are artistic and creative who work in our organisation to help us deliver our purpose, which is around flourishing and nourishing the arts in Otatahi Christchurch. They potentially could get paid more in a corporate environment, but they choose to work for mm -hmm. the Arts Centre. And that flows through to the board level too. We do understand we're there for a purpose and not a cold, hard financial reason, although in this day and age, obviously, all boards look beyond just the pure financial result. How has a learning mindset been something that you've, I guess, ingrained within your own governance career? And, and what's the role that has been played of, of continuing education in that area? Having a growth mindset, having a learning mindset uh, is essential to adding value in the current environment, current society. I'm an experiential learner, so when I do professional development, I always benefit from being in a room with other people. But I've also tried to expand my horizons. I've been very lucky with some of the opportunities I've had. Like I had an opportunity to engage with Naituhu Riri um, out uh, in Tuahiwi here in Christchurch. My background is that I'm second-generation Irish-Scottish Pākehā from Dunedin. Throughout my professional life, I hadn't come into contact with the Māori world at all, and so I had an opportunity to go and experience something which I knew was outside my comfort zone, and it opened a door for me which I hadn't had opened, and that was around the old Māori, a start to understand the importance of that in New Zealand society. Having been open to new opportunities, being open, talking to people that you know, 
has certainly expanded my mindset in that particular part of my governance career. And then it's also about other opportunities you get around who you are and, um, as a person and, and what you do and how you react to things. Because then obviously your own personality drives a lot of things. Just thinking about um, your overall governance career and and what you've experienced, have you got any thoughts about the future of governance? Like, what would you like to see? Maybe something that's changing or governance is a really interesting space, and there are significant challenges on governors of all all type. I look at the requirements that are coming on governors, and whether it be societal expectations, there's a potential financial recession coming. There is a lot required of our governors uh, and we need to be the best that we can be to deliver the results that our organisations need. To me, that comes back to being uh, humble, being open and being inquisitive, both in mindset and in personality. In terms of the challenges that I see, I I see overload for our, our governors as being a real risk and potentially leads to paralysis. When there's so much change, how do you make any sort of forward progress? So to me, that's the biggest challenge. The the only thing I do in those situations is is try and reflect back on the the purpose. What is the purpose for? Uh, To try and anchor my own decision-making around what is important to that organisation is what are we here for? I would encourage people to try and simplify things as much as possible. I love simplicity. Be confident about your own ability. You'll be able to influence governance in a positive way. That was Murray Dickinson. I'm Stephen Moe, and you've been listening to Season 2 of Board Matters, made by the Institute of Directors, with support from the Advanced Directors course. An immersive three-and-a-half-day course designed for directors, tackling complex governance issues and challenges, looking to hone their leadership skills. Board Matters is produced by Sonia Yi. You can find all of the episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and while you're there, we would love for you to share, like, or subscribe. If you'd like to find out more about what governance is, head to iod.org.nz. Kakite and catch you next time!